0: Bible, please, to the book of First Corinthians, chapter two. In our last lesson, we got down through verse five, so we'll pick up with chapter two, verse six. First Corinthians, chapter two, verse six. And Paul had just spoken of the fact that what he spoke was in the power of God and according to the spirit of God. And now he says, "Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect." Now he's speaking of the wisdom of God. We speak Wisdom, spiritual, heavenly, divine wisdom among them that are perfect. Now, the word perfect here doesn't mean sinlessly perfect or perfection, as we might sometimes use it, but it means mature as Christians. We speak a wisdom which is uh, among those that uh, are mature, that they are the ones that are able to receive this spiritual wisdom. We'll contrast that with what we find in the third chapter, Verse 1, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now, when Paul says that he could not speak to the Corinthians as spiritual, they were yet carnal. They had not grown as Christians. In other words, they were not mature. They were not, as we said here in our text or in the first verse that we read, they were not yet perfect or mature as Christians. And that word is used in that sense. Now, it says, Yet not the wisdom of this world, back in verse 6 of the second chapter, yet not the wisdom of this world, we're not speaking that kind of wisdom among them that are mature, nor of the princes of this world. It's not even of the great men of this world, the wisdom that they have. Because their wisdom, look at it, comes to naught. That comes to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. In other words, it's a wisdom, it's a wisdom of God, it's mysterious in the fact that it is spiritual, and only the spiritual understand it. It's hidden to those that are not able to understand it, for he goes on to say, now, if you just follow down, it kind of falls into a chain of, of development as you go along and each word catches on to the one that's gone before it, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, spiritual wisdom, even hidden wisdom is hidden to those that are not spiritual, and it's especially hidden to the unregenerate person, uh, which God uh, ordained before the world unto our glory. In other words, it is of God that he has given a spiritual understanding to his own and to those that mature and are able to receive it. And even though these that we referred to in the third chapter, the Corinthians, were yet babes and yet carnal, they were not yet able to understand spiritual things as they ought to. Though they were regenerated, they were still as babes in Christ and walked as babes. They were still, so to speak, in the flesh. Isn't that a terrible thing that we have Uh, Christians that should by this time be developed and perfect or mature and able to understand these spiritual things that Paul was talking about, and yet because of not growing in grace, as Paul said to the Corinthians, uh, as he, as they were yet babes in Christ, were not able to understand spiritual things, and therefore he could not speak unto them as unto spiritual, but as yet unto carnal, to fleshly. In other words, the only difference between those Corinthians and First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, and the unregenerate was the fact that they were born again and they were babes. The unregenerate were not born again, and that's the only difference. They both still lived fleshly and had not grown. The babes in Christ were still living as men of the flesh, and that's a sad thing. That's why we need Christians to grow. That's why when uh, people are born again, saved by the grace of God, believe on Christ as their Savior, and are baptized into the church, then our business is not to leave them. They'll yet remain babes. Our business is yet to teach them so that they will grow spiritually. And Paul could say to the Corinthians then, had they grown, I speak unto you as perfect, as mature, And not as in debates, but he had to say the reverse, didn't he? Now then, let's try not to have that in our churches today. Let's try not to have that in our own individual local church here today. That the Christians that we get into the church, that we can cause them to grow in grace so that they can understand spiritual things. And the things that Paul was speaking about here. So let's look back in verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in the mystery. Even the hidden wisdom, is hidden to those that are lost, isn't it? Which God before ordained, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. God would have it so, so that it would be necessary for even His own children to grow in order to understand the spiritual things that He has in store for us. See, He made it that way so that we would have a desire it was ordained before the foundation of the world for our glory so that we would not always remain as babes in Christ, that we would grow. Now he goes on to say in verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew. The rulers of this world, they didn't know anything about this spiritual wisdom. They didn't know anything about this, for it was hidden to them. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why would they not have crucified the Lord of glory? Because had they been uh, opened and understanding this spiritual wisdom, they would have already been believers and have uh, they would have received Christ as their, their Messiah and as the Savior. They would have received him because the word prophesied of the Messiah that was to come. And he was identified without a shadow of a doubt. <clears throat> Remember, John pointed him out and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which is uh which taketh away the sin of the world. He was pointed out in his birth, the angels announced his birth, the manner of his birth, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy being, thing which it shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. He was announced by the the shepherds. They went to see these things. And then they spread abroad the words that were told them concerning Jesus. We find that, that all through there was open evidence and testimony of the fact that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah. He proved it to them himself when he took the Scripture of Isaiah and he read it before the congregation. And he sat down and taught them and said, This day is this Scripture fulfilled in your ears. This is what Isaiah was speaking about. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And the, the, he has anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor. You look back in Luke chapter 4 and you'll find when Jesus took up the role of Scripture and began to, to say this is what Isaiah prophesied of. This very moment, this day is this Scripture being fulfilled in your ears. So had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They would have become believers. They would have understood that He was the promised Messiah. They would have had some of that knowledge of God, whereby an understanding of God, whereby they would understand spiritual things. Now then, verse 9. <clears throat> but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, back in the Old Testament, it speaks of these same words in the book of Isaiah, and it deals with the same or the same prophecy is given to us in such a way as to look those that look forward to the to Christ's coming here. It's not His coming. He's already come. But it's prepared. The things are prepared for them that love Him. And that's where the difference is made between the Old Testament quote and prophecy and what is said here. Because He's already come. And those, those to whom He has come and those that have received Him, that they are the ones that love Christ. You know, Paul said, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. We ought to realize that It's prepared, the things are prepared to be revealed to them that love Him. Now then, look in verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. In other words, those that want to grow in a spiritual way, they search. And the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, even the deep things of God. We search the Scriptures to find out about the things of God. And the Spirit is the searcher and revealer, even, of the deep things of God. The more we read the Word, and the more we study the Word, and the more we pray about understanding the Word, and the more we're open to receive it, and the more mature we become, that's how much more we're able to receive, yea, even the deep things of God. And it tells us the nature and the way by which we are able to receive spiritual things. And it's a comparison here of the natural man and the and the born again spirit led man. Look in verse eleven. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. You see, man by nature his old carnal, fleshly, human, unregenerate nature. He could not know anything about man apart from the spirit of man. He has to be man of a spirit, even though that's the animal nature or the fleshly nature of man. But he wouldn't know anything about that particular part of man apart from the spirit of man. And certainly, if that is true, it, it would be evident that even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. If a man is to know anything about the Spirit of God and know anything by the Spirit of God, he must have the Spirit of God. He must, first of all, be renewed. He must be born again, born anew. Or he has not the capability of understanding spiritual things. And then, after he is born anew and born again, he has the capacity to begin to understand spiritual things, but he can not remain as a babe and understand spiritual things. He must grow in grace. And he must grow spiritually and become more mature. And that's why Paul says, how be it in verse 6, we speak uh, wisdom among them that are perfect, among them that are mature as Christians. We speak a, a wisdom that only the... The the more grown up and those that are growing spiritually are able to understand. That's why sometimes you can uh, talk to uh, some people and they may be really a born again child of God. And yet you try to explain some spiritual matter to them and they say, I just don't get it. Well, why they don't get it? They haven't grown enough yet to get it. They haven't grown enough yet to receive it. And that's why we need to grow spiritually, so that we'll understand spiritual things. And we know that the natural man cannot understand them. Neither can that one that is still a babe in Christ and does not grow in grace. He has yet a lack of understanding. That's why he needs to grow. And so we see the need for teaching and preaching the Word and for people to desire to grow in grace, don't we? You know, Peter said, as newborn babes, remember this, he said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. So babes have to grow or they'll remain uh, in such a state that it would not be becoming to, to anyone. You wouldn't want those that are infants to remain infants always. You want them to grow so that they would be naturally developing. We want the same thing to be true of in spiritual things, that those that are babes in Christ not remain that way, but to grow and become mature. Now, Paul says in verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. God has given us spiritual things to understand. And we can know them, but in order to know them, we have to be willing to receive them and we have to have the capacity to receive them. We will not have the capacity to receive them unless we grow to perfection or maturity so that we can receive them. And he says, these are the things that we're preaching, verse 13, which things also we speak. We're speaking about these things. And we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches. We do not speak after the wisdom of this world. We do not uh, give our arguments or our statements or our message from the standpoint of human wisdom. Many do today. And when they do, that's the wisdom that the world desires to hear. But it's not the wisdom that comes from God. But he says, we have another wisdom, but which the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And we know that all of the Old Testament has to be brought out and be preached and taught. And the spiritual application given, and the full revelation of the meaning of it, is many times pointed out in the New Testament. Sometimes you read in the Old Testament various things and you say, well, I don't understand what that means. Suppose you you didn't have the New Testament and you read concerning even something that is very familiar to us, the Passover lamb slain in Egypt and the things that the Lord said to Moses to do concerning the Passover lamb, how it was to be taken and the blood was to be uh, put in a basin and the hyssop was to be uh, take that hyssop of, and apply the blood to the lintel and the side posts of the door for protection of all that entered into the house, of the firstborn especially, for well, that's the one that was under the judgment, and uh, find protection by that blood? And how would we know anything about the spiritual implication of that unless we come over in the New Testament and Paul says uh, in his teachings and I believe it's First Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. It's 5 verse 7. Even Christ, our Passover lamb, the lamb that was slain back there, typified Christ who is our Passover lamb. And he was sacrificed for us. And just as sure, here's a drawing of spiritual thing from spiritual things, as Paul says here comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Paul is saying by that, that just as that Israelite that was under judgment found protection by the blood of that Passover lamb that was killed in the days of Moses, so do you and I as believers in Jesus Christ today find divine protection from the judgment that is to come when we have applied by faith that blood of Christ who is our Passover, to our heart, heart, soul, to our life, and we'll be protected from the great judgment that would fall upon us otherwise. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And that's what Paul is talking about. Now they look at verse 13, uh, 14. We read verse 13. <clears throat> I always hold your place. And when I refer to a certain verse ordinarily, unless I say otherwise, it has to do with the context of the Scripture. So look in verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Now, why can he not receive those things? For they are foolishness unto him. They're not only not received, but they don't mean a thing in the world. And they are actually foolishness unto him. You talk to the man that's unregenerate, the man that is unsaved, the man that is Natural and has not been born again and has not the Spirit of God. He cannot receive those things. He will not receive them. In fact, they are foolishness, even foolishness unto him. It's amazing when you're with, uh, you have two or three Christian people and you're talking about spiritual matters in the, uh, fellowship, I should say, or in the company be a better word, in the company of those that are not saved, and you'll find that they think you're just, uh, you're kind of off your rocker. In other words, you're, you're just out of your mind. They do not understand spiritual things because the natural man cannot receive them. In fact, it seems like it's foolishness to him. Why? Paul says, because... Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. They're only understood, they're only discerned in a spiritual way, and if he has not the Spirit, then he cannot understand. But he that is spiritual judges all things. That word judges, if you have a marginal reference, it's much like the word you just said about the natural man, discern, or the The spiritual, he that is spiritual discerneth all things, yet he himself is judged or discerned of no man. Now, he that is spiritual discerns all things, that is, all spiritual things. He understands spiritual things. Yet he himself is discerned, he is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Those who are born again and grow in grace and grow in spirituality have spiritual thoughts and they're (coughs) spiritual minded. And it doesn't mean that we have attained to a perfection equal to that of the Lord. Certainly not. But of the same nature and of the same spirit so that it's true that we have the mind of Christ. We think like Christ would have us to think by the... Leadership of His Spirit. And so we know the mind of the Lord in certain things if we are led in a spiritual way, and we're willing to be led in a spiritual way. We're willing to be taught in a spiritual way. Now that's what we need, is to have the mind of Christ. And only as we mature as Christians can this be said. Because we might be, let's not break the chapter where it's broken here, let's go Right on. And Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. Look at verse 15 again. He that is spiritual, judgeth all things. He wasn't even speaking to these Corinthians here that were yet babes, was he? Because they could judge all things and discern all things had they been spiritual. But he says, I can't even speak to you in that way as of yet because you're yet carnal. Even as under babes in Christ, you have not grown spiritually, and therefore you remain fleshly. You remain carnal. Now, you could discern spiritual things if you would grow spiritually, and if I could speak to you spiritually, but he was not able thus far to do that. We're going to see in a moment the reason for their lack of spirituality And the reason for them yet being carnal, because they have the same symptoms that characterize that man that is fleshly or carnal and does not walk in the spiritual way. And the word there, when it says carnal and babes, that's in contrast to perfection or fully matured or growing enough in grace to be spiritual Christians. You see, you have various kinds of Christians. You have those that are yet carnal that remain as babes that will not grow in grace. Maybe they've been saved by the grace of God and been born in the family of God. It's true, but they got out of church. They didn't read the Bible. They wouldn't pray. They wouldn't grow. That's why it gives me great delight to see people that once they're born again, and baptized into the church, that they come on, and they're taught the Word, and they grow in grace, and some people grow more in a year than others grow in a lifetime. You've seen that truth. And and the reason is the food that they eat, the nourishment in a spiritual way that they take in. And you can take that in, and you can grow. But if you neglect it, you're not going to grow. And many of us have seen the pictures of these these children, according to the flesh, the, the children that are born in lands where they have no food in their family, we see they don't grow. They just remain cripples. They remain in a, a very shriveled up, shrunken condition. It's a pitiful state, fleshly and humanly speaking, to look upon those. Their little bellies swell out for lack of food, and their insides begin to eat eat themselves away, and they die in infancy because of of starvation. You say, that's a terrible thing. Alright, you bring that same thing over and apply it to uh, people that are Christians, that are babes, and they do not take in any spiritual nourishment. They're in the same condition, if you could with just a a viewpoint of a spiritual uh, person, they're in the same condition spiritually that that one is uh, physically. That's a terrible situation to be in, isn't it? And yet, When we look at other people that have professed Christ and have not grown and are still, as Paul addressed the Corinthians here, yet carnal, even remaining as babes, some of them may have been saved for years. We don't know how long. Some of them probably had more time to grow than others. And there's a possibility that some among them that were young in the faith were more grown than some that had been there for years. But by the same token, if if you could look upon them and see them in such a condition, if you were to look on people today that you see that are yet babes, and say and compare them to those people you see on television, those children you see, those infants you see, those boys and girls that that are starved to death, you'd say, "My, what a terrible sight!" When you look upon those those starved children. Well, it's a terrible sight to look upon a Christian that still remains in that same condition spiritually. That's why we need to get people that are out of the house of God and out of church. I talk to folks uh, week by week and day by day, and I'm sure you do that. That claim to be Christians that know no more about spiritual things than if they were completely blinded to it all. I talk to them week after week, and they'll they'll come out with statements concerning the things of God that you know that they feel like that they really are trusting the Lord with their souls, that they're a born-again child of God, and yet when you talk to them about their need for uh, for the, the Word and for prayer and for uh, being taught the Word, I believe that a spiritual Christian knows that he needs to be fed upon spiritual food. I believe he knows that he needs to have a constant fellowship with the Lord, that he needs to pray about many things and all things. In order to grow. And he needs to grow in grace and in knowledge. And he needs to feed especially upon the Word. The Word of uh, Job of old said, I have seen the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. If it was more than Job's necessary food, he, great, he attached, a, attached a great deal of value to feeding upon the Word of God. And why people cannot see that today. They want to be fed upon everything else. Well, you are what you eat, so to speak. If we don't eat some of the Word and feed upon the Word, well, then we will not grow. My wife's already, since the first of the year, read into the book of what? Numbers? Deuteronomy? Somewhere thereabouts. Already the first five books of the Old Testament. And she'll read it through by the quarter of the year. And, of course, I don't read the Bible in that manner. I study it, and it takes so much of my time to, to study uh, subjects and to study passages and to study books that I'm going to preach and teach on, I don't have a habit of reading it through. But anyway, however you read it, if you read it through or if you take a book and read it and study it or a chapter or whatever, we need the Word to grow. We need to know something about what God's Word says. And let us learn to read it and study it. And it says, let's come back to chapter 3, verse 1 quickly. And it says again, We'll look over it and go to the next verse. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And because they had not grown, they were not able to eat anything yet but milk, and they should have been eating strong meat by now. He says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. They had not passed that milk stage of their growth as Christians. And he says, therefore, I continue... Feeding you milk. If they still had to have the milk of the word, I'm sure Paul would desire that, as Peter said, they desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby, and then get out of that baby stage and be able to eat a little solid food. And that's what we need today is Christians that are able to eat a little bit of solid food. He says, I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. <clears throat> now why were they not yet able to bear it? For ye are yet carnal. You're yet fleshly. <clears throat> you're yet just as if the only thing that's happened to you, you're born again into the family of God, you're babes in Christ, but you still walk like unregenerate men. You still walk like fleshly carnal men. You haven't even risen above that animal stage of your life in a spiritual way. You're still carnal. For whereas there is among you, now this is the reason, whereas there is among you envying, look at that. That's for carnal men. That's for fleshly men. That's for unregenerate men. That's not for Christian men. There's envying and strife. And divisions. If you want to attach three words that would have to do with this, the envying would be attached to their feelings. They were envious. And the strife, words of strife come out. Strife presents itself in the form of words and arguments. And then divisions, that's the actions of it. So you might say feelings and words and actions could be attached to these three. And these are things that the natural man has. And that the Christian ought to grow above. We ought to get above that thought of envy. We ought to get beyond those words of strife. We ought to rise above the actions of being divided. The Bible teaches we ought to be of one heart and of one mind and of one accord as Christians. Beloved, that will be a great day in the church, won't it? When we can be of one heart, and of one soul, and of one accord, and of one mind, then you'll see things begin to happen. It says, you're yet carnal, and walk as men. As ordinary men. As unregenerate men. As men that are not born again. As men that have not uh, been regenerated. And he goes on to show some reasons why they stay in such a state and condition. For while one saith, I am Paul," Another, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? In other words, they were following one preacher and then another. One would follow Paul and one Apollos. You see, there was divisions because instead of believing the message of Paul and the message of Apollos, they were attached to the preacher instead of his preaching. Now, we need to be attached to the Word of God. We need to be attached to the truth of God's Word. We need to be grounded in the faith. And instead of saying, well, I'm of Paul, I belong to this sect, or this uh, party, or that one, and I'm of Apollos, he says, who is then? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believe, all they are is servants of God. They're ministers by whom you believe. You believed on the Lord through them, even as the Lord gave to every man. You're to believe the Word regardless if it's preached faithfully and preached truthfully by a faithful minister, it's to be received. But you're not to be attached to a man, you're be, to be attached to the Lord. And you're to be guided by the the Word of the Lord. And they're ministers of the Word, he says. Even as other preachers today are ministers of the Word. we ought to stand where they stand and stand with them in what they stand for. Now, if they go off on the deep end, or if they're... Uh, not preaching the truth, then certainly do not stand with that crowd. Stand with those that preach the fundamentals of the faith, and if they vary from it, well then, that's time for you to take your stand with those that remain faithful to the Word of truth. You're to, you're to be steadfast in the Word, regardless of what the preacher, if he goes off one way or the other, well don't follow him, follow the Word of God, and be grounded in the faith, and stay with the church, and, and, and keep it standing for what it needs to stand for. Don't go falling off here some cult or sect or some group that doesn't even stand for the, the the gospel of Christ and the word of truth. Don't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine by the slide of men. Make up your mind what God's word teaches and when you have some conviction about it, you stand there and those that would would uh, counteract it or, or oppose it or try to turn you away from it, have nothing to do with them. Just don't, don't accept it at all. We, in our studies in, uh, the book of Romans, which we just finished, it said in the 16th chapter, verse 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. Mark them. Paul says, know who those people are, and he says, avoid them. That was his advice. In other words, if a fellow's going to lead you astray doctrinally, if he's going to lead you astray from the Word of God, you mark out what that fellow believes and you avoid him. It doesn't say to go over there and dilly-dally with him and say, well, now I know you believe this and I believe that, so we'll just have fellowship and we'll both go to heaven our own way. No, that's not the way you get to heaven in the first place. There's one way of salvation and there's, The fellowship has to be centered around Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And John says, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And people that would lead you astray don't have anything to do with that crowd. Then going down, it says this in the next verse. It says, if you have 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, he says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. One plants and another waters. But he says God is the one that gives the increase. So neither, so then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. You know, you come along and you plant the word, you give the word out. Another comes along and he encourages that, he waters it, and he helps it to grow. And that's what we should be doing as Christians. Maybe maybe you planted the seed and uh, of the word. And someone else comes along and waters it. But it's God who will finally give the increase. It's the it's the Lord that finally gives the increase. I've seen that many times happen. This lady I've used as an illustration time and time again, and I don't want to overdo it, but I would like to remind you that the night this lady in Mount Pleasant was saved, this lady in her 80s, and the song leader and I went in to visit with her. And she said, I'm too wicked to be saved. I'm too sinful to be saved. And I quoted Isaiah one eighteen, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And convinced her that the Lord would save anyone. But when we walked in the door, she was listening to a radio preacher somewhere down in Texas southern part of Texas. I believe it was uh, Houston or San Antonio or somewhere. He was on there. And he was preaching to her. So he was planting the seed, you see. And maybe it was just the right time for that seed to be watered to the extent that it would produce and, and, and bring forth. And she accepted the Lord. But you see what happens a lot of times, we think we've done something big, but it's God that gives it the increase. We don't know how many people have been instrumental in uh, saying a word or praying a prayer or, or influencing some soul that you and I may finally have the opportunity to to uh, bring into the church and that we see that thing happen and see them saved and baptized. But there was a lot of planning and watering along the way. But even in the midst of all of that, we were only servants. We were doing what God wanted us to do in that particular uh, circumstance. And God is the one that gives the increase. And he's the one that does that today. And if you look at verse 7 again, so then neither he that planteth is anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. We'll pick up with verse 8 in our next lesson. Let us stand together for a word of prayer.